With my family, I live not far away from Minnehaha Falls and the Ford Parkway Bridge is my regular thoroughfare across the Mississippi to Highland Village. And last night I happened to be on a riverboat um, that was a reception for the wedding that happened here yesterday. And I got to see that bridge from underneath. It's a different view, for sure. One late afternoon, early summer, I pulled into the parking lot at Lund's just as my mom called. And so I decided to walk around the building and we could chat a little bit. So I walked back by the loading docks and the dumpsters, places where pedestrians really rarely venture. We ended our call and I continued to walk around the building and it was a very sad sight that I saw as the adjacent Ford plant was being torn down is being torn down. Acres and acres and mounds of twisted metal. Giant demolition machines were resting after their hard day's work. Their huge jaws were quiet. There was no person around. All human activity on this site was stopped. And what I was seeing was the end game of 86 years of productivity at the Twin Cities Assembly Plant, which was, at the time of its closure, the oldest Ford plant still in operation. I continued my walk around the back of the building and back to Ford Parkway, and I looked west toward Minneapolis, and I could see the old Union Hall UAW 879, where many a rally was held and many a wedding party booked that big space. It's now an Eric's bike shop. I suppose there's some kind of symmetry in that, some kind of forward progress from the car culture to a bike culture. But I can't help but be sad for the loss of so many good-paying jobs and the history of good people who stood together on the assembly line and on the picket line to produce both a durable good and to build the common good, working together. Henry Ford was famously anti-labor, and he resisted any attempts at organizing his factories. But then World War II came around. And factories, as you know, were being retrofitted and they were being converted to military production. And President Franklin Roosevelt made it plain to Mr. Ford himself that if he wanted to receive any military contracts, he essentially would have to accept the Union. Those were the days when white women began working at the plant during the war. Rosie the Riveter came to St. Paul. As the demolition continues through this next year, the Ford Company will have a massive cleanup job on their hands. They are working with the city of St. Paul to find and eliminate any chemicals and solvents and all of the things that go into heavy machinery under that great concrete floor of the old line. A park is planned there, maybe mixed-use, residential, commercial, perhaps a transit hub. 
It's 122 prime acres of real estate on the Mississippi River, ready for something new. Well, the Ford plant's heyday was another time, we say. Some even say that the unions may have brought it on themselves. If they hadn't been so greedy for, oh, I don't know, luxuries like a living wage job and health care and pensions, well, then the management wouldn't have had to ship those jobs overseas where other people, brown people mostly in the developing world, build the products for American companies for pennies on the dollar. And time and change roll on. Today, some 85% of jobs in the U.S. are in the service sector. We don't produce widgets so much anymore, but rather we produce intangibles to build our common good. And the fastest growing sector of the service economy is in food service, mostly low-wage, mostly low or no-benefit jobs. Doesn't sound very sustainable, does it? Well, on Labor Day, I think it's worth thinking about whether or not that's a very good idea. Over the past decade, sustainability has become a buzzword in the farm-to-table movement. We think of food sustainability in restaurants, among so-called locavores, among many of us in this room who value a whole systems approach to the challenges of a warming planet and an ever-expanding population. We rightly decry the use of genetically modified organisms, the power of Monsanto, and the known and unknowns of corporate factory farming. We shop at the co-op for earth-friendly products. When we can afford it, we pay more for free-range organic eggs. One day my dad asked my mom why I wouldn't buy so-and-so at the market when I was shopping for him, and she just said, oh, she's for chicken's rights. <laughs> it's become a little bit of a joke in our family, chicken's rights. We do what we can to promote agricultural sustainability. But if you're anything like me, you just look the other way when you can't. There's lots of times that we can't. And I just, I sort of bite my lip and move on. Many of us in this room try to eat eco-kosher, as I've heard it called, nourishing ourselves without causing undue harm to the environment. And so now, for me, what I'm learning is the next piece of this sustainability puzzle comes into view, is being explored, the unsustainability of the way food service workers are being exploited. Today we took the offering for the Unitarian Universalist Association. One of the things that our association does each year is promote what they call the Common Read. It's essentially a nationwide book club. The idea is that we're all invited to read and discuss the same book over the year. People in congregations all over the country are doing this as a way to build community, both among our congregation and, and more broadly in our movement. 
So we each have a diverse group of people share a common language, a common idea that we're doing. Well, this year, the book that is the common read is called Behind the Kitchen Door by, I'm going to work this name, Saru Jayaraman. Jayaraman. She goes by Saru. Behind the Kitchen Door is lifting the veil for me about something that I would otherwise miss, the plight of food service workers in the United States. Saru is the co-founder of Rock, the restaurant organizing, I'm sorry, the Restaurant Opportunities Center, which was born out of the tragedy of 9-11. There were a number of food service workers um, at the windows of the world, the restaurant in the World Trade Center, who were there that early Tuesday morning preparing for a banquet when the towers went down. And so a number of the workers from that restaurant lost their lives. But there were hundreds more who worked the evening shift who were obviously displaced from their work. And the owner of Windows of the World, as the the tragedy unfolded, as the dust settled and he decided that he would rebuild a restaurant in Times Square. And what he said was, all of the workers from Windows of the World who want to will have a job with me. It did not come to pass that way. They were not invited to have jobs with him. And especially immigrants and people of color who applied to this new restaurant were turned away. And it was out of that group of workers that came together to organize together, to bring their voices together to make a more, more impact that the Restaurant Opportunities Center, Rock was born, which is now a nationwide organization. And Saru, the author of this book, is one of the co-founders of Rock. That's the, that's the background to this. It's a nonprofit and work center that has now over 10,000 members in 20 states and has won many campaigns against uh, worker exploitation. It helps workers get their stolen wages and tips back and so forth. They work with the union, Unite Here, a union of workers in hotels, airport, food service, gaming, laundry, and other services. You know, sometimes it is tough to be a progressive who cares about the world, to live in the spiritual practice of justice is to covenant daily to consider the law of proportion, that my have is another's have not. To live in a daily spiritual practice of justice not mean, means not just to get myself centered and be zen-like. It means to consider every time I walk out my door how I spend my dollars and how they affect other people in this great network of mutuality. Jen talked about the March on Washington, the 50th anniversary, and we heard the beautiful coverage and saw the speeches this week. And someone remarked that Dr. King didn't go to Washington for an abstract goal. There was an ideal, to be sure, 
Civil rights is a powerful idea, but there was something deeply practical about jobs. It was about bodies and jobs and dignity. That's what it is for us today, 50 years hence and 50 years from now to be engaged in a daily spiritual practice of justice, to covenant every day, to be present to the law of proportion that my have is another's have not. But then, come on, chicken's rights? Can't we just go out to dinner and have a good time? Does it always have to be so fraught? Yeah, I'm sorry, kind of. <laughs> well, sure, we can. We can just go out to have a dinner and have a good time and not think about it, but the powers and the niceties of greed and comfort, of inertia and manners, or may, no. We can't ask the hard questions because somebody might be uncomfortable. No. <laughs> Those powers of powers and niceties conspire to keep us from speaking up for the very, very people who bring our food. What I've learned from this book, Behind the Kitchen Door, is that many food service, most food service workers in the U.S. are really treated abysmally, rarely paid a living wage, rarely offered health insurance or even sick leave. Oh my gosh, the chapter on how people are not offered sick leave makes you want to go out to dinner with a mask on your face. They suffer wage and tip theft. There is rampant racial discrimination and sexual harassment. It's no surprise that people of color, especially women of color and immigrants, fall to the bottom of the ladder. White women fare marginally better, and white men suffer fewer of these indignities, but still many to be sure. If what we are about as Unitarian Universalists is the inherent worth and dignity of every person, we're called to care with our dining dollars and with our hearts and our voices about these indignities. It's easy, sometimes easy for me to pretend that labor difficulties are for a long time past, that they're only for the union hall, or they take place in a factory on the other side of the world where I really can't do much about it, but I'm going to try to buy things that are made in the U.S., but it's really hard, so what can you do? But when a cook is working with a badly burned hand because there's no health insurance, or the server who brings our organic free-range chicken dinner has come to work with a fever because she doesn't have sick leave, that unsustainability is right in front of me. The, pro the premise of Behind the Kitchen Door is that the sustainability movement has left out the workers whose job it is to serve us. Servers have three times the poverty rate and use food stamps at double the rate of the rest of the U.S. workforce. 
Over half of tipped workers live in poverty. Over half of tipped workers live in poverty. I'm sorry, let me get this right. Over half of all tipped workers who do live in poverty are people of color. Over half of the tipped workers who live in poverty are people of color. Sustainability has to include living wage jobs, health insurance, and paid sick leave. Otherwise, I am having my dinner. I am having, I'm a have, at the very real expense of another's have-not. There's a character named Ike Solomon, who appears in a couple of books by the Australian writer Bryce Courtenay. I'm a big fan of Bryce Courtney. I don't know if any of you know him, but he's a real favorite of mine. Ike is the real-life grifter on whom Fagin in Oliver Twist was based. Remember that character, Fagin in Oliver Twist? Ike is a thief with a good heart, and his maxim is, leave a little salt on the bread. Leave a little salt on the bread. And by this, Ike means... Don't take all you can, even when you can. It's not good for business. Don't take all you can, even when you can. It's not good for business. People won't come back and do business with you. Another friend said to me the other day, when your profit is God, anything that gets in the way of that is sin. When your prophet is God, anything that gets in the way of that is sin. So I think we're consumers, right? We go out to dinner, right? Now and again? What kind of power do we have just in this room? And if we are able to speak to our friends and neighbors and family, what kind of power do we have? That's what union means. Here on Labor Day, to be in solidarity with a movement that can make a difference in the real quality of people's lives. Now, I don't think this book, Behind the Kitchen Door, solves everything. My 30-second review is that it's a little polemic. I'd like to see a little more balance. I actually would like to be in dialogue with some people who have read it and say, what do you think? Did that ring true to you? I think there's a lot to learn. So I'm acknowledging that for me, I'm just beginning to lift the veil on a new era of chicken's rights, (laughs) on workers, food service workers' rights. Now I'll go out to dinner or to coffee or to breakfast and be aware in a different way. What is interesting about this book is at the back, there's a list of suggestions for what we might do. There's a national dining guide, and they rate restaurants, you know, on a a certain number of things. There aren't any in Minnesota, specifically Minnesota restaurants listed right now, but there are a lot of nationwide restaurants that are listed, listed, so you can, you know, find out about Olive Garden Chuck E. Cheese. (laughs) They 
they say that one of the good things that we can do is let restaurants know. We can ask the questions of the management. Do you offer your workers sick leave, paid sick days? Is everybody in your kitchen well today? No, I may go somewhere else. We have power to ask questions, to get past our Minnesota nice and just ask the question. Today is not the day that we solve it. Today is the day that we take a step. Today is the day that we say that the labor movement is not dead, that it's not something in the past, that we are all a part of it. We are deeply interconnected as a part of it. Thousands of years of history have passed, and during all that time, human beings have fought and killed and plundered and wronged each other in every possible way. Of such stuff, history is made. But also during that time, other human beings have quietly and patiently persevered in the development of the arts, crafts and inventions and ideas and programs and justice. From these millions of creative persons, most of them unnoticed and unknown in the upheavals of history, have come the good and lasting things in, in the sum of human culture. Together, today, because of our commitment to each other, because of our faith, we step forward one more day. May it be so, and amen.